So welcome to this week's Body Mechanic Podcast with Rob Arnold from Chrysalis Fitness Training. Hi, Rob. How are you this week? Uh, hello. I'm dandy, to be fair. <laughs> That's good. It's always good to be good, yeah. as they say. What we're going to talk about this week is movement for memory. Now, when Rob told me about this, I thought, movement for memory? These two things don't seem to have a connection. So please explain to me. Give us a rough idea of what you mean by movement for memory. Um, yeah, so your, your memory systems... There's a, there's a couple of different ones, but they're quite closely linked to the things that help to govern movement as well. And by using movement, you create a thing called neuroplasticity. And what that does is helps your brain train itself and hold on to memories better. And it, it's just a bit like, you know, the, the games you get on and apps you get on phones, like brain training. It's that kind of thing. And when you say movement for memory... Do you mean, you know, exercise type movement, like actual physical movement, or is it more to do with movement within your your mind and your head? Um, it's a bit of both. We're, we're going to talk about exercise, but also simple movements as well. Let, so let's start off. Um, give us a rough outline of, of, of how your brain works and, and your memories. So um, you've got a monster in your brain. I didn't know if you knew that, but uh, there's a thing called the hippocampus and that's the monster. It, it comes from ancient Greek for sea monster. And that is the structure that's involved with storing and processing uh, long-term memories. So it, it processes long-term memories, and then they get pushed into your frontal lobes, and that's where they're stored. So if you, I know you've recently had a birthday. I have, absolutely. A, a significant one as well. So if you remember back to uh, your younger birthdays, those are long-term memories, and they're sat right at the front of your head in, in your frontal lobes. And then you've got other memories which are processed elsewhere. So your cerebellum, which is it's kind of like a potato-sized structure, the bottom of your brain. So is this, is this one that's down near the nape of your neck? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's also called a little brain because that's what it is. But that's the governor for movement. But what that does, it also helps process procedural memories. So things like skill uh, and, and, and things to, to do with vision and, and learning. That's the bit. So when you learn to read, if you, you're drawing, if you're all that kind of thing, that's how that processes that. Yeah. So obviously those short-term memories at some point will need to become long-term memories. So that'll get pushed into the hippocampus and then stored in, in your frontal lobe. So that's how that works. Can I just quickly jump in here? Yeah. I, I used to be a, a London black cab driver. Some people may or may not know. And I, I had to do the knowledge of London, which is the most frightening thing. <laughs> And I do know that there has been biological studies done on people who've done the knowledge of London and their hippocampus actually physically grows bigger because of this. But I assume that's like exercising a muscle, the same sort of principle. Yeah. And um, we're going to talk about the cerebellum and what's called atrophy. So when something shrinks, so you've got hypertrophy and atrophy. So hypertrophy is, is growing. So when you do exercise and, like, you know, we've got weightlifters and they get bigger muscles, that's hypertrophy. Uh, and then if you've got someone that sits there and doesn't do anything and their muscles get smaller, that's atrophy. And your structures within your brain can atrophy as well. And that'll affect how they work and that, how they function. So we've got the two two areas of the brain which deal with memory. So what's the, what's the next stage then that you need to explain to us? So what we're going to look at is a thing called neuroplasticity. The brain is termed as what's called plastic. So it can reshape itself. And this is where like I said, hypertrophy and atrophy, where, where that comes in. So if you think about movement, say, for instance, something nice and simple like a bench press, it's one linear movement, it, it's easy to do, and it's easy for the brain to learn. And because it's easy for the brain to learn, it doesn't take that much effort. So that memory will get, get made. And I've spoken about um, neurons and synapt synaptic clefts before, 
in past episodes. So I'm not going to go into that. But by doing different movements, you can wire different neurons together, if that makes sense. So we will look at what's called complex movement. And that could be a number of things. So are you left or right-handed, Mark? I am right-handed, very right-handed. <laughs> okay. So for instance, if you were try to write your name with your left hand, it would be quite difficult. Uh, it would look like a very drunk spider, basically. But if you went and did that really slowly, it'd still look not great because you're not used to it. But it would be legible. Exactly. If you write it slow and slow and slow and keep doing it and doing it, eventually you'll be able to get faster and faster. And what will happen is the brain starts to shape itself in a different way. So you've got that, um, that skill set. So you're doing a procedure there and that's going to get processed in your cerebellum because it's a movement as well. Okay. And, and it's a learning process. So you learn that. And all memories are is, is just learned experience. You learn that, then it gets processed into the hippocampus and then stored as a memory, as a long-term memory. And the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. But because that's happening, because you're doing these different things and improving a learning process, that's going to start to affect your memory storage. And it affects your memory storage because you're strengthening those structures. Now, like we said before about things getting smaller and bigger. And, and that's the process. So there's um, the studies, so damage to the cerebellum, that can affect things like verbal memory. And I've worked with people that have had stroke in the past. Their problem is struggling to remember words. I mean, these are people that have been quite articulate in the past, but then they, they can't remember the words. And that's because of damage to a structure. And also uh, skill can be affected in, in coordination and cognition. But when we look at the complex movement, so we said about um, bench press, if we go back to the example of you writing your name with your left hand, that's more complex because it's not as easy for your brain to process. So it becomes a better way of learning. And then, uh, I mean, the, we look at um, atrophy of the cerebellum, and that's also been linked to uh, things like dementia. And I'm, I'm sure there's, most people listening have, have had some kind of relationship with dementia, whether it's family or, or friends or friends of families or whatever. So dementia can, can be linked to atrophy of the cerebellum. And as I've said, cerebellum is involved with the process of movement. And interestingly, there's been studies and the lowest rate of dementia in the world is based in two indigenous tribes that are in the Bolivian Amazon. And Africa has also got one of the lowest uh, rates of dementia in the world. And that, that's compared to higher income regions. And what we've got to look at with the two different areas, there might be a case for a lower life expectancy in those areas. But we're looking at how people move. So we've got the indigenous tribes. They're still hunter-gatherers. They don't sit at computers all day like we do. They're still quite active. And the, the way they move about is complex because it involves things like the balance systems, the eyes, and coordinating movements together. So they're using all their senses all the time, more or less. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I, I sit in front of a computer and look at wavy lines all day. That's quite a, a, a limited process for my head to deal with. Whereas if I'm out, as you say, hunting and gathering and making sure I'm not being eaten by something and I'm not going to fall off a cliff or fall out of a tree or whatever, my mind is being much more active. Exactly. I mean, if, if you look at, um, in the Western world, say a climber, climbing is quite complex. So what, what someone's doing is, even if it's on an indoor wall, that they're, they're looking for handholds where they can put their feet. They're processing information all the time. And as they, the more they do it, the better they get at it. And it's a skill. 
and when we when we learn skills and when we we achieve becoming proficient in a skill, we start to release endorphins and, and dopamine. That gives us that that feel good factor as well. And as I said earlier, the cerebellum's also been recently related to the process of emotions. There's another structure within the brain. It's all within the brain, Mark, called the amygdala, and and that's that's involved in um, emotional memory. Talking about dementia in, in the modern world in, in Western society, for the want of a better phrase, is there a way that we can exercise ourselves, our brains and our bodies to, to try and keep that at bay to a certain extent? Is there things that we can do? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to say you can stop it because if no, you could, I, I there wouldn't be that. research into it. But what you can do is you, you can help yourself. And it all starts at a younger age. I think you, you get so far and then... Once you've you've got to a certain point, there's possibly no turning back. I'm not sure. That's beyond my scope of practice and, and my knowledge. Yeah. So keep if you keep challenging yourself, that is going to have little effects. And it's it's all those little stacking things up. So we said about um you being right-handed. So you can have a go at writing your name with your left hand. Have a go at writing your name with your eyes closed. Okay. With both hands. Having a go have a go at writing your name backwards or forwards. Or upside down. But is it like when people talk about people learning piano at, a, at an advanced age or learning guitar and things like that? Yeah. Those sort of brain, it's yeah. like a brain exercise almost. The main thing is take it slow because the slower you start, the quicker you'll get to be able to do it fast. And then you can move on to something something new. But even little things like cleaning your teeth with the opposite hand or keeping your eyes closed when you get up in the morning and go to the bathroom because that spatial awareness, you're trying to remember where things are. That's really useful stuff, Rob, because that's stuff any of us can do yeah. within our normal lives. And, and it's interesting thing you say about the learning things slowly. One of the things when you learn guitar is they say, do it very slowly and accurately and then build up the speed. And eventually, before you know it, you're, you're without even thinking about it, your brain has plasticized into, yeah. <laughs> into a situation where you can do that. But that's, that's really useful advice, actually, the, the, those little things um, of using both hands to do stuff, becoming ambidextrous more, almost, don't you? Yeah. And and then when we're looking at um, at more complex, bigger movements, so if someone's struggling with with a movement, if it's just standing up, so what you can do is you can just practice standing up, do it slower, and then once achieved what you're trying to get to, and it's feeling better, then you can change it. So you, again, you can do it with your eyes closed, or try and do it with one leg, or try and do it with your your arms holding different weights, that kind of thing. One, one thing that I use with um, clients is crawling patterns because crawling is quite complex. And what I demonstrate with them, and it's really easy to demonstrate because it normally goes wrong with them. And that, that's not a bad thing. It just means that they've forgotten how to do it. It's crawling like a baby. When babies learn to crawl, there's certain processes they go through. They learn to feel their body on, on the floor. They get to understand where the weight is distributed. And again, this is the whole learning process but it's movement, so it's, it's related to the cerebellum. So it's a whole, whole thing when they learn to roll over. Yes, exactly. Off their back and onto their front. Yeah, now babies have got massive heads compared to the rest of the body. And they use that to to help them move as well. But they'll, then they'll look up and then eventually they, they learn that they can get onto their hands and knees or they'll learn to sit up. But then what they'll learn is that if they lift one hand, they might fall down. But then they, they readjust themselves and they go through that process and they keep working and working and then they start to crawl. And what will happen is they'll lift their hand and their opposite knee at the same time and place them down at the same time. So, so they're, learn, they're learning balance, basically. Yeah. A lot of adults I've worked with, 
when you get them to do it, they struggle to coordinate. Because they don't need to do that anymore. Exactly. It, it's a learned movement that they've forgotten. So just by doing crawling patterns like that, and then when you try and get them to go backwards, oh, it goes crazy wrong. It's all over the place. But again, you can build up to that. And it, it's that complex movement. These, you say complex, but quite simple movements really in, yeah. in the greater scheme of things can really help to keep your brain active and your memory and the parts that store memory working yeah. all the time. It's, it's literally like a brain gym type setup. Yeah, yeah. When I say complex, it's complex to the brain. Yeah, sorry. I probably should have. No, no, that, no, no. It's interesting you saying that because, uh, you know, it, it sort of describes, you know, what the brain is doing. But in the greater scheme of things for us as human beings, you know, lifting up one leg and one arm is a relatively simple movement. It's just that simple things like that often are things that you can't do because you've just forgotten how to do that and your balance is all over the place. Yeah. I mean, if we go back to dementia, so we're, we're talking about long-term memories. My nan had dementia and she kept thinking she was back at home with her mom and dad. So what, what that is, is those long-term memories are, are there and she's struggling to make the new memories because because she's struggling to make the new memories, the long-term memories are overriding. And this is a very similar link to um, PTSD. So does that mean that the two parts of the brain aren't coordinating? So the hippocampus and the cerebellum, one of them is not working well and the other one is still working absolutely fine. Yeah. So remember I said about the atrophy. So your cerebellum, you can either have some kind of lesion or damage to it, or but eventually it'll start to shrink. You, you might notice that people with dementia their movement's not as good as as it possibly used to be. But yeah, so the, the, the link to uh, PTSD is similar. So you've got emotional memories and memories of emotion. So when something happens, you'll remember it, but then it might be an emotional time, but you'll remember that. But what might be overriding is remembering the emotion at the time, and that'll link to pictures in, in your head. So there are things that will make you emotional because you remember that as an emotional moment. But there are other things where you remember the emotion of that moment as opposed yeah. to remembering. Yeah, I, 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 I think I know what you're saying with that. I can see that are two totally separate things. Well, what happens there is that stunts your ability to make new memories. So it, it's not dementia. You, you'll still do things and you can still learn things, but it stunts your ability to, to make new memories. So everything's stuck in the long-term memory. And that's, so, that's what you keep remembering. So is, is the issue getting in the way of making these new memories. Yes. So as I said, you've got a structure in, in the brain called the amygdala, and that's to do with emotional processing. And the cerebellum is also linked with emotional processing. So when we start to learn skills, that will release endorphins as well and, and dopamine. There's been research into skill-based movement for PTSD, but also you, you said very, at the very start of this, is it about thought process as well, that kind of movement? And that's the same kind of thing. So that movement, changing the way you think or altering the way you think is still taxing for the brain in a positive way, if that makes sense. Remarkably, this whole thing now makes sense to me. When you first talked to me about it before, I thought, really? And now I'm thinking, yeah, it, it works. Have you got an example of, of what you've done with a client or with someone you know in this field, in this movement memory field? Yes, um, so there was one one person that, that I worked with that had a stroke and they were struggling to remember words. I did some research. I worked out what the speech centres were for, for the brain and, and went through all that. They were also, because if you, if you have a problem with speech after a stroke, it means you've had a stroke on the left-hand side of your brain. 
and that will affect movement on the right hand side of your body. So we worked through some little exercises with the fingers of the right hand because they, they were struggling with that hand anyway. So we did some calibration for the for the speech sensors and then we also had them doing exercises with the right hand. You know when you just roll your fingers like as if you were just uh, running over keys of a piano like one at a time. I had them to close their eyes and visualize doing that and then have a go at doing it with their eyes closed, visualizing it and doing it at the same time and then just have a go at doing it at the same time. Eye movement and balance are really closely related with the cerebellum. So when we said about movement, little balance exercises as well, just trying to stand on one leg because if you stand on one leg, it's incorporating lots of different things in the body. And again, it, it sounds like a simple exercise, but it's not so simple. So it's that thing of um, your body's constantly making adjustments if you're standing on one leg and your yeah. brain is obviously activating the things that are making those adjustments. Yeah. And then one of the things that I know is that they, they, they do this thing where you, you stand on one leg and close your eyes and it's incredibly difficult to, to keep your balance. Yeah, so I was going to come on to that. So doing things with your eyes closed as well. But also, when we look at eye movement, so you've got muscles that move your eyes as well. So doing different tasks with your eyes in a different position, for instance, if you're reading a book, if you're reading a book, your eyes are central because you're looking at the book. But try reading it with your eyes off to one side, but your head facing forwards, or with your head to one side and, and your, your eyes looking at the book. But you, you can also put that into when you're doing movements. So again, we said about bench press being really simple exercise for the brain but if you start to stack other things on top of it it'll begin to make it complex so looking at it so for example looking at a stroke victim what you're doing is you're firing everything back up again almost like kick-starting things by saying you know you can do this but you can do this at the same time as well and slowly building things on top of that yeah, yeah. is that what we're looking at yeah and like any exercise you know with, with, with a muscle you know when, when you do physiotherapy or something like that it's building up those connections and the muscles and the sinews and all the other things that you need just to do normal, what we would call normal function. Yeah, there's a thing called... In, in, in my head, that's what it yeah, looks like. Yeah, I mean, anyway. there's a thing called infinity walks, which I've used with not just people that have had strokes, but other people with uh, movement dysfunction. And basically, you have a certain point, a spot on the wall for them to look at, and they walk in a figure of eight pattern, keeping their eyes on that. That, so, that sounds incredibly complicated and difficult. It's just walking, but looking at something. If we narrow it down, that, that's what it is. It is, it is complicated because you, you're trying to do several different things and it's complicated for someone that's fully able-bodied as well. But the, the, the hit it can have on, on people that have got dysfunction for their movement and then we'll say look at, we look at the movement and that's related to memory as well. It has a, a profound impact. I'm beginning to connect all this together now and it, and it seems to me like anything that is quite taxing in movement terms where it's balance and memory, you know, if you say, for example, if you're dancing and you're, you're doing balance and you're remembering steps and the music is also there as part of it. So you're trying to keep a rhythm. The more that your brain is dealing with, the, the more exercise it's getting basically. Yeah. I mean, what I would say for listeners just to have a go at. Is, that, that was my next question. Have you got okay. some, some takeaways we've got from this? Yeah. So you, you can just practice it and test it for yourself. So um, things like Kim's game, do you know Kim's game? No, please explain. You've, you've got um, several items and you look at them, then you cover them up, go away, come back, and you have to remember what, what's there and where it is. So you can do that, but then you can, in the time when you're away, you can intersperse that with 
some movement patterns that are complex, whether it's walking or squatting and turning around, something that's different for you. Even have a go at looking it upside down, bend over, look through your legs, look at it in a mirror. I'm not going to say you're going to get everything straight away, but it's just another way of, of using using lots of different systems as a tool to improve that neuroplasticity. So it's all about the neuroplasticity ultimately. And if, if you don't do it, your your brain will lose the ability to manipulate constantly and, and grow to a certain extent. As I said, the example I always think of is, is learning a musical instrument. Is that a good thing? Because that's a movement, actually physical movement and brain memory as well. Yeah, I play guitar. Um, I started when I was about 16. I wasn't very good then. I'm not very good now, but I am better than I was then. But uh, just learning certain chord shapes, moving your fingers. What I have done is try to have a go at playing with the opposite hand, but I haven't restrung the guitar, so that's really difficult. Yes. I suppose the takeaway is by challenging your movement, you'll get better at that movement that you're challenging. But in turn, you're going to be able to remember it better. That's going to help to grow those structures of your brain that are involved in memory. So, yes. so you can store more. Yeah, yeah. So so basically it's exercising your brain and trying to get it to do new things all the time Yeah. or do the same things, but in a different order or a different way or from a different angle, changing it up basically all the time, changing it yeah, up. Yeah. So that's how we describe this movement for memory. Then you're, you're doing little tasks and, you know, uh, as you say, brushing your teeth with the opposite hand. When you get up in the morning, try and go to the bathroom with your eyes shut. Please be careful if you're going to do that. And, and this is how, how, you know, these are the things that we can do in everyday life that will help our brains stay active is what yeah. we're talking about, really. And using physical movement. Uh, and physical activity in order to to help our brains with memory and uh, as as we say stay active none of these things are fail safe things that stop you getting dementia but uh, it's one of the things that you can use that hopefully will help you in the future yeah for for me if i can do something that that might help or do something that definitely won't help i'm going to do something that might help and doing something that definitely won't help is doing nothing absolutely and and i totally agree with you that Rob, it's been a revelation for me once again, another revelation for me talking to you uh, today. Thank you very much. If people want to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? Probably email and it's rob at chrysalis-fitness.com. And you've got a website as well? Yeah, it's www.chrysalis-fitness.com. Okay, lovely. And you, you're happy to answer any questions anybody has? Yeah. Uh, also, if people want to send messages by WhatsApp, um, it's 07824 Any comments about the podcast, we'd really love to hear from you. Is there anything particularly that you want Rob to talk about that, that maybe you're having issues with that you think Rob might be able to help with? Please get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, just email us or, or get in touch with Rob via, via the number or via his website. We'll be back with another Body Mechanic podcast in a couple of weeks. Until then, stay safe and look after yourself. Thank you very much, Rob. Cheers. This is a 1386 audio production.